Hey, I'm Kirk Harnack. On This Week in Radio Tech, I'm joined by Chris Tobin and Tom Ray and our special guest, Marianne Seidler. We're going to be talking about MPEG-2, MPEG-3, Marianne's own personal connection with the development of those items, and a whole lot more coming up on This Week in Radio Tech next. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for This Week in Radio Tech is brought to you by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is This Week in Radio Tech. Episode 84, recorded May 25th, 2011. Mary Ann Seidler. This Week in Radio Tech is brought to you by Omnia Audio and the Omnia One, including the Omnia One AM, FM, and Multicast. Check it out at omniaaudio.com. And by Trim Tonic. Trim Tonic is a natural appetite suppressant tonic that takes the edge off of being hungry. Go to trimtonic.com and use the offer code TWIT for 20% off. It's time for This Week in Radio Tech. Hi there, I'm Kirk Harnack, adjusting my chair here to sit up a little bit. Uh, you've tuned into the show where we talk about radio technology. You probably know that by the title, and uh, we usually have a, a bevy of uh, experts on the show. Uh, sometimes we, we step and fetch pretty well looking for the answers, uh, but we always have some good things to talk about. And today, uh, my co-host with me on the show is Chris Tobin. Hello, Chris. Hello, Kirk. How are you? Hope doing I'm well. I'm good. Uh, I just I just quickly have to show the this image. It's a ball peen hammer. The other day we had a, uh, me a mechanic in working on the air conditioning, and I heard a pounding sound. I was like, "What are you doing?" So well, I have to loosen a, a, a compressor. It's stuck. This was the tool. I'm expecting <laughs> to see a wrench, a spanner wrench. No, this was the tool. So for the stereotype, typical joking around, take a hammer to it to fix it. Believe it or not, that did, did take place this week. <laughs> <laughs> So when, when when you have that in your hand, does every problem look like a nail? Absolutely. It's either this or an EV635 microphone. Which will you prefer? <laughs> That's right. That's right. And for those of, of our audience members too young to remember, they used to advertise EV635 microphones as being able to pound a nail into a block of wood, and then you'd be able to go on the air with it right after that. Absolutely. Trying to figure out why you'd even want to consider that kind of a scenario, I don't know. But yes, that was that was the marketing of the microphone. You know, if you're if you're out in the field doing storm reporting, uh, you know that may be uh, that may be useful. Very possibly. Okay, I'll go with that. So, I'll Chris Tobin, tell us part. about yourself and why do you feel qualified to be on the show? I'm certainly not. Oh, because because nowadays it's just you just have to say you're qualified and it's good enough. That's what I'm going with. That's the story. No, I'm, I I have the pleasure of working with the CBS Broadcast Group here in New York City with uh, six radio stations and for the last uh, 10 years doing a lot of radio here in New York as well as around town. So as a broadcast technologist and the chief engineer of uh, one of the top stations, AM news stations, uh, that's my qualification to start with. And plus, I've had plenty of phone calls and emails from our audience, and so far nobody's called back to complain, so I, I think I'm going to go with Hello, that, too. this is Marianne Seidler of Tyline Technologies. Oh, I'm either on that the message phone I left is coming back. Away from my okay, well, I guess that's, that's Marianne's voice, but it's not Marianne. Hey, speaking of Marianne, we're working on getting a guest on the show, and that is Marianne Seidler. Now, actually, her name nowadays, if you want to be proper about it, her name is Marianne Gordon. 
Um, uh, Marianne used to be my colleague at Telos Systems. By the way, that's my employer. So if I say something nice about Telos, you'll know why. Although I must say, Telos, Omni, and Axia are sponsors of This Week in Radio Tech. And this week, uh, Omnia is the sponsor. Our other sponsor on the show, by the way, is Trim Tonic. And I'm going to be telling you about them in just a few minutes as we get into the show. Marianne Seidler is our, uh, is our guest today. Hey, it, it may end up working. It may not. Marianne lives way up in the hinterlands in uh, northern New Hampshire. And uh, internet yeah. is not always there. <laughs> we hey, are, is that you? Here last year. Hi. Hi. So this is this is Marianne, right? Yes, it is. Is this Kirk? <laughs> yes, it is. Glad to hear your voice, and we are live nationwide. Well, worldwide. Wicked. So, <laughs> so keep on your best because behavior, girl. Answer, wicked cool. <laughs> So, Marianne, we're glad to finally get you on, at least by telephone, and we'll have you on another time by uh, by Skype video. But Marianne and I tested this, a- this afternoon. I always test with the guests, and it worked fine. But, you know, like uh, like Chris Tobin said, Microsoft takes over Skype, and look what happens. <laughs> Immediately, within seconds. I've never had a problem before. Hey, hey, Marianne. Uh, tell you what, uh, I'm, you're, the the phone connection is is okay, but uh, I'm I'm not sure it's good to listen to f- for an hour. Tell us a little bit about yourself and and what you're doing with the the company that you work with now, and um and then we're gonna I'm, surely we can get into a a story here real quick before uh, uh you know uh, b- before we let you go if we can't get Skype going on. So tell us a little bit about Marianne Seidler. Let's see, I have been involved, disturbingly enough, in the area of audio coding for over 20 years now. I work for Tyline Technology, which is a company that does nothing but make audio coding products, which is just a perfect fit for me. My background, I I actually started out in life as a journalist, a radio journalist, so I'm the one who knew how to break all the equipment and then, of course, deny to the engineer that I'd ever dropped it. (laughs) <laughs> so, so I got involved in more of the technical side of it and just loved it. So that's how I ended up with Timeline Technologies. And I, I know I've known Kurt for, well, since we were both very young children. So just a few <laughs> years ago. <laughs> and we were a lot younger then, weren't we? Some years ago when uh, I started working at, uh, at at Telos also. That's that's where you were my colleague there at uh at, at Telos. Well, um, Marianne, there's, uh, the, the folks at, at Tyline, now we've talked about Tyline here on our show. We've also talked about Comrex and, and Telos products in terms of uh, IP audio coding. Tyline's been around a while, started in uh, Australia, and they've been in the business of getting audio from one place to another under oftentimes um, difficult conditions. Yeah, it's interesting because the real foray with audio codecs and Tyline was with the POTS codec. And I'll never forget the first time I heard it and said, oh, this is really good. This is really, really good. So, And it was funny because at the time, a lot of people were doing ISDN, but they had no one that really examined high-quality audio with POTS codecs, and that's how they got their start. So, and I, I love working for them. I work in the North American division, I only have trouble sometimes understanding the Australian accent. So. <laughs> um, in fact, I wish we were using a Tyline POTS codec right now. We'd probably have a, a much better connection than over uh, over the cell phone. Uh, much better, yes. And, you know, this, this is funny. I've got this thing going on at home. I have 
don't ask why. I have two different cell phones here. So I'm experimenting to see which cell phone coverage is better. So I have AT&T and I've got Verizon right now. Hey, speaking of, of, of cell phone, here's something that, that uh, surprised a lot of folks, and a lot of folks think it's a great idea, and, and I do too. Um, uh, Tyline and I believe Comrex too, but uh, Tyline has come out with a, with a very cool adapter for an iPhone to help broadcasters do live remote broadcasts in a, a high quality or a higher quality mode. Um, using their iPhone. Um, Burke had that on the screen a moment ago. Why don't you describe what that what that is for an iPhone? Well, it's interesting. We've got two different things. We have an app that you go to the App Store and download it. It's called Reporting. And it literally turns your phone into a 15 kilohertz audio codec. Now, this is amazing in and of itself, but the problem has always been that you want to have a professional mic and you want to have headsets. So we decided the mic adapter so you can use your professional uh, dynamic mic and a couple of pairs of headsets. And the, the, the thing that's amazing about this is, yeah, you can do remotes, and we all think of that. People took it to places like Cairo. And when the authorities were saying, mm, we're not going to let you in the country with video or audio equipment, people were walking into the country with iPhones and using this app and getting studio quality back and no one ever guessed oh wow this is a journalist no it's just someone with an iphone it could be anyone <laughs> that's what makes it so you it just I mean, think about that it just brings the level of instantaneous reporting to a whole new level so um tell us about how this uh, how this program works do you, how do you dial what do you dial if you install the program and and uh i guess you can use the iphone's mic you have some other a piece of equipment that lets you adapt a, a dynamic mic. What what yeah, are you dialing so into? Be, you're just dialing into a tie line codec on the other end. So either one okay. of our bridges, which is IP only, or our other G3 codec, and that's it. And it's it gives you a very very low uh, delay and high quality. But it just the cool thing about this is is in an instant. When I was a reporter, it was always in an instant, you'd see breaking news and you'd think, ah, why don't I have a piece of equipment to record this or to do a live report? And uh -huh. this this gives you that. And you know what's, what's neat about it? Oh, see, you got me on a chair here, is when you hear the difference in someone's voice between a cell phone and a call that's made using a codec like our report, it's just stunning. It, it's hard to believe it's the same person. So can you tell us about the, the codec that's being used in the report it to, to connect back to a, a tie-line box at the studio? It's one of our own uh, coding algorithms, and we're using that. It's called, um, it's a tie-line codec algorithm, and the reason we use that is because it's very low, qual low delay and high quality. Yeah. So it, yeah. you know, if you're using something, let's say, like MP3, then you've got a delay problem, and that's hard for people to deal with. So sure. and that's so that's what we've done in a nutshell. And that's it's it just being able to turn anyone into a citizen journalist, just like people are doing with video on the iPhone. This is taking it to an, an, another level because if you think about about how the quality of audio sounds, none of us 
except those of us in the business, really think, oh, that's annoying, I'm going to turn that off. But in the back of people's minds, they do, when it's very poor quality audio, especially cell phones. It drives people out of out of their gourd, and this eliminates that. If I'd said you an audio clip, you'd have a hard time believing it was the same person. Sure, sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, hey, I, again, I wish we were on one of these uh, tie line uh, 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 reported connections right now because you would sound a lot better. Thank you. Yes, it's probably getting rid of the uh, low range in my voice, which is unfortunate, but I may actually sound like a woman without that. Without that. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, Burke just put a picture of you up uh, on, on, the, uh, on, on the video here. So, hey, when you go watch the program back uh, some other time, you can, you can see that. So, okay, we talked about this reported <laughs> software there. It looks like um, uh, I, I thought I saw on the, on the uh, um, App Store, there's a light version and a full version. What's the difference there? You know, if someone's just using this, let's say you're just going to do a one-off report. You may just want to get a version that's for an hour you can connect. But then there are people, and you don't need more than that, but there are people who are really working for a station or they're a full-time freelance journalist. You want to get the full version because that way you just own the app, you can go out and do whatever you want. You can FTP things back. So it's not just it's not just an audio codec. It's also you can record a report at the same time and then send it back to the studio. And a lot okay. of people will do that if they don't have a good uh, G3 connection, uh, 3G connection. Uh, okay, so you could send it back high-quality audio in slower than real time, right? Right. Uh, okay, so I could record a high-quality interview and then hit a button to send it back to the radio station. And it would, even if I didn't have a good quality, a high quality, high speed connection, it would still get there, take longer than real time, but then it would be at the radio station and they could play it in their next newscast or whatever they need to do with it. Yeah, exactly. And you could have a variety. And we've got, you know, like, without um, our client's permission, I don't want to get their names, but we have a lot of very big broadcasters who use it for that. And most of the reporting they'll do, they're sending over an iPhone with our reported. And they're doing not all, not just live, but a lot of sand reports. Again, when I was a reporter, I would have loved to have something like this because it would have meant I never had to go back to the station. Hey, I, I've I'm sure the engineer would have loved that. <laughs> I, I've installed... Um... Uh, Thailand's reported on my iPad here. Now, I've got an iPad, too. You know, it's got the mic and everything. So if I just hold it up to my head like a big iPhone, will that work? <laughs> yes, it will. <laughs> and, you know, in some ways, I can like using the iPad better because it's easier to see things. And we have a fair number of people who use that as well. But, again, you won't have, you won't be able to use, I mean, you could get a cable and work everything together with that. And some people are doing that. It doesn't quite give you the portability of using an iPhone. And with this, if you look at our mic adapter, what's nice about that is, you know, the one thing people are looking at devices like iPhones and saying, this is great, I can use this for all sorts of reports, but if I want to interview the governor, I'm probably not going to just stick a mic, uh, uh, iPhone in front of him. And this, right. you'd be able to use your your mic and your station. Hey, Marianne, we've got someone who's uh, joined in the conversation here. Tom Ray from WOR New York has, has uh, shown up. Hey, Tom. 
Hey, greetings, Kirk. Uh, greetings, Chris. Greetings, Marianne. Uh, good evening. Hi. Marianne, do, do you know Tom? I do. I remember meeting Tom several times when I was at Tellers. You used to come by the booth, and we'd always see you and be like, oh, Tom Ray is here. <laughs> see, see, and, you know, see, Kirk, I tell you, I, I do more than just attract flies, see? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm, on, on the one hand, I'm disappointed that we don't have Marianne on a uh, video Skype connection. On the other hand, she's got some uh, terrific uh, stories uh, uh, to tell. And Marianne, as long as we got you right now, um, would you, uh, would you hearken back to, uh, to yesteryear and uh, tell us a little bit about your involvement with the people who developed MPEG Layer Two and I heard there was some kind of a food fight that broke out at a restaurant between the MPEG-2 guys and the MPEG-3 guys. Oh, this, you know, it was, it's amazing. It's, it's a pity we don't have passion like that anymore with things. When MPEG-2 first came out, it was actually uh, before it had the designation for Layer 2. It was called Musicam, which I'll give you a dollar if anyone can guess what Musicam stood for. Oh, Ooh, boy. It's, not, it's not the obvious. Uh, music uh, cam. This is, no. Music cam. Music. I don't know. Uh, what did it stand for? Masking, masking pattern, pattern adaptive, adaptive universal subband integrated universal coding. integrated coding and multiplexing. Oh my goodness! That much. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, but you know, this, there was a lot at stake, and I think it was a lot to do with professional pride. So I got to know. Actually, I discovered this whole thing. I went to go see the Canadians at Bell Canada. And the guys at Bell Canada were just involved in looking at different coding schemes. So they gave me a piece of information on Layer 2, which was not called Layer 2 at the time. And they said, you should look into this. This is interesting. So off I went. I went to go see a client of ours at CBC and showed him this technical paper, he literally ripped it out of my hand and said, this is the future. So with that, I thought, hmm, okay. I got to know the people at the IRT, the Institute for Rundfunk Technique in Germany, specifically hmm. Gerhard Stoll, who was the father of Layer 2. And through that, I, I met everyone at CTE, TT, and Philips, who were the three um, developers of Layer 2. At the time, they were deciding, and they were doing a lot of tests on how they would divide things up. And it was people from Fraunhofer who were doing a tremendous amount of work on Layer 3. And it was just, it would just be knockdown, drag-out fights between, especially Gerhard um, and the guys at Fraunhofer. Every time they'd give a technical paper, it would just be just a war. <laughs> One time, the Layer 2 people, we all went out to dinner at a restaurant. And it was at the IBC. And the guys from Layer 3 walked into the restaurant. And we got up and left the restaurant. The Layer 2 people did. <laughs> the Layer 2 crowd <laughs> left the restaurant yes, when the Layer 3 because, guys arrived. Yes, because we didn't want to be in the same. We were talking about something secret with Layer 2, and we couldn't be in the same restaurant. So we had to get up and leave. And it was, a, believe me, this was a small restaurant. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, yeah, it was an unfortunate moment in so, history. 
so so Marianne, uh, on the screen, we've got a little announcement about um, uh, Gerhard Stoll, a photo of him yeah. and uh, an announcement uh, announcement about his passing a little over a year ago. Uh, tell us a little bit, bit more about Gerhard and uh, um, uh, you, you you knew him very well. Uh, what can what can you tell us about him and 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 what kind of an inventor guy was this who who uh, claimed to be the the uh, he walked in the Telos booth a few years ago and introduced himself yeah. to me as the, the grandfather of MPEG two. So tell tell me about yeah him. yeah <laughs> that would be Gerhard. Gerhard was he was a he was a brilliant scientist and you know it's interesting because in Germany the education system is a little bit different and Gerhard literally his degree and his master's degree was in psychoacoustic engineering. So it was very specific, even at the time. And he just started getting involved in audio coding. And plus that, he had such a passion for very high-quality music that something like Layer 2 and audio coding to create better quality was a perfect fit for him. And he just, he would literally be at the office doing something with MPEG-2 until 4 or 5 in the morning and then go and give a paper to the AES. And he did that the entire time I knew him. He was wow. just... Yeah. I, mean, I think if it weren't for that level of passion and enthusiasm, I'm not sure that anything would have gotten as far as it did. And the thing with the guys over at Fraunhofer in Layer 3, but he just... He was brilliant. But it was in a very specific field. Marianne, something that I've always wondered about Layer 2 or any audio codec, but you might know uh, Gerhard's thinking, or maybe this wasn't up to Gerhard. Layer 2, like, like all codecs, have a target bit rate at which they sound their best. And layer two, uh, I, I don't. I've always thought its target bit rate would be something like 256 kilobits per second or higher. Um, there are plenty of people, though, uh, who are using MPEG layer two at much lower bit rates, like 128 or perhaps even lower than that. Um, and and it's, it, it starts to fall apart there, as any codec will, when used well below its target bit rate. Why why would um, it be allowed to use a codec well below its target bit rate at which it was designed to sound good. Do you have any idea? You know, a lot of layer two had to do with ISTN. And yeah, you could use it at 256, and that's what they had originally planned on. But there's a lot of real world that falls into it. And it's just mm. a quick aside, it was funny because at one point, I was telling you this, and Garrett and I got into a very heated discussion because I said, look, surround sound is going to be something. And he just absolutely was adamant that people would never put five speakers or six speakers in their home. He just couldn't believe that that would ever happen. And to, to today, he very much too soon passed. I used to just torture him about it and send him ads for different speaker systems and say, well, how about that surround sound? Do you think that's still going away? Well, of course, there's plenty of people who <laughs> who go to their their Walmart store or Radio Shack and buy a, a surround theater system and and end up installing three speakers and leaving two in the box. Yes, exactly. So yeah. to get back to your question, yeah. you know, at the time, um, audio codecs were very widely accepted in Europe because Europe had something before the U.S. ISDN and mm. ISDN was two times 64, 128. It was easy to install. They, did, they 
They had a standard across Europe, and it just took off like wildfire. And at the time, it would have been the, the, the processors for Layer 3 haven't been developed yet. So that's how Layer 2 got started, and that's how they started using it at 128. But also keep in mind, you know, the competition in a way to that was G722. So it was, it was such a, a, a monumental leap in quality over G722. I think people accepted the limitations. Now, when, when people used MPEG Layer 2 over ISDN lines at 128 kilobits, were they using it in stereo or in mono? Joint stereo. Joint stereo, okay. That, that would right. give you just a little bit better quality than stereo. Gotcha. So I, I know so, here in, in the States, was, for example, I'm sorry, go ahead. It was something that used to just, Gerhard at first couldn't understand that. He just, ah, people should be using this at 256. But I think then, you know, he, he saw the reality of it. Yeah, yeah. And so, and and as we've gone in time beyond MPEG Layer Two, we we've uh, they've been working hard to develop codecs that work at at bit rates that are, uh, I guess, more practical, more real world, uh, more available to the consumer, like whatever bit rates you might get across a cell phone connection, three uh, G or or four G connection. Sometimes maybe great, sometimes maybe pretty pretty limited. Yeah. So that's and interestingly enough, you know, when all of these groups started. You know, the people from MP, MPEG-2 and MPEG-3 really tested how the algorithms sound. But MPEG-2, was, they were much more focused on DAB. Ah, DAB. Market. And, and DA, DAB transmission in, in Europe was designed to be at 256 kilobits per second for a stereo channel, exactly. right? Exactly. And now, since then... Also, the Internet wasn't really... It wasn't that active then. So right. the whole right. idea of MP3 and very low bit rates, why? So, hey, Marion, we're going to take a, a break and hear from a sponsor for uh, just a moment. But when we come back, I want to ask you uh, one more question before we let you go. And it's about um, you worked with and knew very well Gerhard Stoll. And information about Gerhard, by the way, is available on, on the Internet. We'll put a couple links up uh, on, on, the sh on the show site. Uh, and But you've also worked with a gentleman who was very involved with MPEG Layer 3, and that's Tony Timmett. In fact, you, yeah, you, you shared an office with this guy. So hang on. We're going to uh, talk about a sponsor here for a minute or two okay. and, uh, and and come right back. And in the meantime, uh, Tom and Chris are going to think of a, of a question, too, before we uh, let, let Marianne go. Hey, our program awesome. this week in Radio Tech is brought to you in part by Trim Tonic. It's a natural appetite suppressant tonic. It takes the edge off being hungry. And what makes Trim Tonic unique is that they use no stimulants to get this effect. No caffeine, no hoodia. Instead, they use eight active ingredients, some of which have clinical studies showing their ability to curb appetite and reduce body fat. Now, there's three main ingredients uh, in, uh, in Trim Tonic, and I'm going to try my best to pronounce them. There's uh, Achenrathus and uh, Achenrathus aspera. That's one of them. And the other one is called Irvingia gabonesis. <laughs> you know, if you, just, if you buy it, you can look it up. Um, and the, the third also is, is coca leaf. Hey, I can say coca leaf. Visit them at braintonic.com. And here, I'll spell that for you because it's a little different. It's brain, B-R-A-I-N, tonic, T-O-N-I-Q. So it's braintonic, 
Twit.com for more information. Enter the coupon code TWIT and you'll get a 20% discount off your purchase of Trim Tonic. Of course, while you're there, you can look up uh, Brain Tonic as well, another product that these folks make. So Trim Tonic, natural appetite suppressant. It does take the edge off of being hungry, and I could probably use some myself because I'm hungry right now. Trim Tonic, thank you, thank you very much for sponsoring uh, this episode of This Week in Radio Tech. All right, back to Marianne. Uh, so Marianne, you've worked with uh, Gerhard Stoll and Tony Timmett, MPEG-2 and MPEG-3. This has got to be a weird thing. Yeah, it was hilarious, although those two got along very, very well. Oh, Garrett okay. used to come into the office, and, you know, he, in a way, he and Tony were a bit alike because they both had a real passion for audio. But Tony is such a, such a wonderful guy. He's hilarious. When I worked with him, you would go in and ask Tony a question, and his immediate response is always, no, no, it can't be done, no. <laughs> And at first I think, oh, okay, all right, well, I slink back to my office and think, well, okay. But, and then I got to know Tony. Within seconds, he'd be in, back in my office saying, well, yeah, in theory, and he did, he, within minutes, he would work a solution out. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, yeah, but Tony is so, where Gerhardt was so gregarious, and you knew exactly that, as you put it, Garrett was the grandfather of Layer 2. Tony is so so quiet and modest in that way. You'd have no idea how much work he did with Layer 3, and he did an unbelievable amount of work. Yeah, he did. That's what I understand. And and uh, our, my employer, your former employer, Telos, was awfully lucky to uh, to get Tony from uh, Fraunhofer after the MPEG-3 uh, project was uh, what was complete there. So it's really an it's a pleasure for me to have met Gerhard on several occasions and to work with uh, with Tony. Now you worked with Tony in in Tony's office uh, in uh, in Germany. What was that like yeah. uh, working with with Tony? hilarious. We used to, you know, he and I would end up staying in the office till about 7 o'clock at night because he'd be working on something and I'd be in the next office. The only issue we ever had was he and I had our own separate music systems. And what he was playing in his office, I just, <laughs> we had different tastes. And just the torture, yeah. my fine music that would just drive him crazy. You know, I, I actually I visited Tony at that same office and uh, and he was listening to some, to some of his music and uh, I said Tony um, just because I'm really curious can I copy a few of those songs and he gave me the hard drive and he said here you copy all you want <laughs> and uh, I don't think I've listened to any of them yeah. since. I uh, know you you wouldn't think someone like that would have such musical taste. Hmm. But I met him when before actually when he was working in the U.S. at Telos. And he and I got to know each other then, and they were already planning on him coming back. So we set the office up together. And what an odd couple, because, you know, I could get very excited about things. And I never, I don't think I ever saw Tony lose his temper. <laughs> so I, I guess I have one more question about the uh, the the work that Gerhard Stoll did on MPEG Layer 2. Um, I've been asked a few times to explain, okay, how does psychoacoustic audio coding work? How can we get a bit rate from, you know, one and a half or two megabits per second to re that represents uh, audio in a, in a linear fashion? How do we get that down to 256 or 128 kilobits per second 
you know, it's in a sense, throwing away a lot of the data. We're actually not throwing it away. We're 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 just coding it with fewer bits and and raising the uh, the the noise floor to just below the the level of human perception. But it it seems as though so many of the fundamentals that are in MPEG layer two um, that I'm sure Gerhard had a big hand in inventing these fundamentals carry on into other audio uh, coding schemes, including uh, what, what we use on Skype, for example, the Silk, uh, the Silk or, or, or Silk V3 codec. Any psychoacoustic codec uh, is using uh, um, schemes and, and techniques uh, similar to what Gerhard uh, either invented or perfected, right? Yeah, and, you know, the whole idea of a psychoacoustic codec, and one of the things that, one of the ways he and I ended up uh, even meeting each other is I was one of the expert listeners for the original uh, listening test to choose MP2 and MP3. And if it's at a high enough bit rate, you know, you, you really have to concentrate to hear the difference. Of course, you can always hear a little difference, but you can't really hear the difference between the original. But it's when people either send things at very low uh, bit rates or the other thing that it always worries me is when you have multiple passes, when you're cascading over and over and over again. And that's, you know, it's, a, it's something I'd like us all to think about because that's, that's when I've, I've heard things on the radio that I know are someone has recorded you know, some music in MP3 and then they've sent it from a remote spot in MP3 and you're hearing two or three encoding and decoding of a psychoacoustic algorithm and it starts to fall apart. Sure. And, and you know, there's a, a great uh, uh, allegory or, um, uh, to this, uh, this effect of multiple pass uh, coding with audio. If you've ever watched a YouTube video that originally was, let's say it was saved on VHS tape, and then somebody put that VHS uh, tape into their computer and then they uploaded it to YouTube uh, with some coding algorithm. Then you, you see the video degradation that occurs there. Uh, the VHS was bad enough. And then the, uh, you know, the, 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 the digital coding that goes on to get the bit rate down uh, for, for YouTube, uh, whichever coding algorithms that you're, you're using there, uh, that, that's a visual allegory to this. But in audio, the same, the yeah. same thing can happen. And the key there is to start, start with the highest quality that you can before you cut it down to a, to a lower bit rate. Yeah, that's, you're, Kirk, you're absolutely right. That's the first time you've ever heard me say that. <laughs> <laughs> really? And you're tired Kirk, of you're knowing absolutely. each other. Kirk, you're absolutely right. Hey, I, I, I think I have, as usual, stolen the darn stage and asked all the questions that my colleagues, Tom and Chris, were going to ask. But let's check in with them anyway. Chris Tobin, uh, you, have you got any uh, additional question for, for Marianne Seidler? Well, I'm, I do have a question. I'm curious um, uh, how things are progressing with MPEG-4, H.264. Where does that leave MPEG-2 and 3, as people know it, <clears throat> moving forward and with html5 and all the craze about video and audio where do you see you know uh, the audio landscape moving to if if you know if any you know i'd, I'd rather kirk answer that question i certainly see mp2 it's it's had a good long life it really has i mean it's over almost 20 years so and it, when that was designed Things were, it was a much simpler scheme, and we also didn't have the processing power. 
and DSP chips that we do now. So I think going to things like some of the iterations of AAC and also some of the APTX algorithms and others out there are are picking up. It'll never, I don't think it'll ever be so clearly defined between two algorithms as it was in 1992. It'll be different variations that make sense to different environments. Tom, have you got any uh, any questions for for Marianne? And and by the way, you're welcome to ask her a tie line question too, because uh, that's who's the that's the folks that she's representing right right now. Uh, actually, uh, just a comment. I mean, she had mentioned the uh, cascading of algorithms before, and fortunately or unfortunately, nowadays uh, in ra in radio at least, we cascade algorithms every day. Um, as an example, uh, let's take. Um, uh, I'm not going to mention the show, but let's take a, 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 a popular uh, network radio show uh, that will generally go back to their studio on layer two, go out of the studio, hopefully linear, but possibly on a layer two codec to go to the satellite receiver, which goes up either on layer two or a layer three codec, which then comes down at the station and then possibly gets passed through a compressed STL. Um, Personally, a lot of it, you know, a lot of it sounds good, but I, I find, for example, um, you know, I, I find with MP3 that uh, it doesn't play, it, it, it doesn't play nice with certain codecs. Uh, we've stopped using MP3 uh, for remotes at WOR because with the HD radio, I notice, I call it the halo effect. You hear a halo on the HD radio channel with anything we're doing with, with a layer 3 uh, codec, and the layer 2 sounds much better. Um, just wondering if, if Marianne had any thoughts on, uh, on, on something like that. If, if, there's any, if there's any way to tell ahead of time, you know, any document or something you could read that might, might be able to point you in the direction of uh, what codecs would actually play nicely if you have no choice but to cascade algorithms. Actually, I do. I've got uh, some information I'll be happy to send you back. And this is, you hit on a really important point, and one I've been kind of trying to find some people to work with on this. I would, I, a long time ago, there were a fair number of tests done with cascading of different algorithms. But that if hasn't I'm, been done if I'm not mistaken, wasn't that Herb Squire who did that? Um, actually, it was the original one that I worked with was Steve Lyman at CBC. Mm. Okay. So what I was I'm really looking for someone to work with me, and I'm thrilled to work in this area, is putting together, I'd like to actually write a paper, put together a new test procedure and test all these, because there's so many different iterations out there, people using MP3, MP2, AEC, and different algorithms, and even Skype. Let's... If we could just put together a, a few different audio bits that we decide and get 10 different iterations of what people think are realistic ways to test it, then we could at least put something together and maybe center around and have people vote on it. It's, it's a start, but we're not that cohesiveness with the technical community. And I'm not seeing that recently. And I think it's really important because exactly what you're saying is happening, and it's going to happen more and more. 
Well, well, you know, like and Marianne, I'll, I'll send you my email address because that's something uh, yeah, I might be able to help you with a little bit. Uh, I, I did a test a couple of years ago with one of the radio, one of the other radio networks in town. Uh, we were carrying their show at WOR, and and we have. Uh, uh, an interesting situation because our satellite receivers receivers are at the transmitter site, and we've got limited, uh, you know, limited real estate for audio coming back to the studios. Uh, so in that, in this case, they produced the show, they brought it in linear, they put it up to the bird, which was an MP2 channel. We take it down to the transmitter site. It goes into a Harris Intraplex system, which is actually an MP3 coding, comes out of the studio, goes through the automation system, goes back on a linear channel to the transmitter site, then goes through the HD radio codec. So we had, we had multiple passes, and, and, and actually we tried an experiment where we, uh, we had recorders, uh, they had recorders, I had recorders, and we actually recorded each step of the chain to hear what the degradation was, and I, I just thought that was very fascinating at the time. Yeah, I would love to be a part of something like that because that's and it's happening all the time. And most stations, or small or medium stations, they don't even realize how many passes and how many different types of algorithms that they're using. And it would be, yeah, I'd be thrilled to work on something like that. And if we could get a little group, that would be great because I think we could at least kind of have standards or recommendations for people. And I, I think that's a great idea because you're right, especially when you get down to the smaller station level. You know, someone like Chris and I, we've done enough work with the uh, with the different algorithms. We know our chains at the studios. We know what's going on. But a lot of the smaller stations really don't know that. They don't have the experience. Uh, and I think it would be valuable to have, you know, some type of document or, or some type of guideline to go by um, yeah. that, that, that stations could follow. Excellent. Well, boy, yeah, I'd be thrilled to work with you on that. Excellent. Kirk. All right. Hey, well, it's time to take uh, one more break and uh, tell you about our other sponsor. And this week, our other sponsor is Omnia. Omnia Audio. And uh, Omnia is maker of a bunch of different audio processors. And in fact, um, I, you know, I guess I need to ask Burke if this is going to work. Burke, if, yeah, on Skype, if I share my screen instead of my camera, will that work for you? Yes. Hoping to get an answer, yes. Let's see he what happens for the microphone. Try it. <laughs> yeah, he scrambles for the microphone. Are you sure you really want to start screen sharing? Uh, hey, you guys on the network, can you see my screen with an Omnia? No. Um, nope, can't? Nope. What do you got, nothing? Uh, no, we, we just some very ominous looking so image so of you. It looks exactly <laughs> like what it is when you don't send video. Gotcha. Well, that that's no good. Okay. Well, we'll stop the screen share and go back to, and go back to the video. We'll figure out a better way to uh, to do that in in the future. Now, now, am I going to be able to share video again, or is that is that going to be uh, totally? The camera. You just, there it is. Okay. All right. There we go. Ah, da 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 There. All right. All right. Well, we'll wing it. I, I should be able to wing it because I know all about this uh, this uh, omnia oh, stuff. Oh, now we're doing green screen. Ah, there I am. I'm back. Hey, how you doing? Well, then, I'll, then I'll, I'll, I'll grab the camera and show you right here next to me. Look at that. Is uh, an Omnia One audio processor. This is the same audio processor that Leo uses at the Twit Network to um, process all the audio that goes out on the streams that you hear. So if you uh, watch on Ustream or if you watch on Justin TV, uh, you're hearing the audio through this Omnia audio processor. Uh, he, uh, Leo has an Omnia One multicast, and that the Omnia One multicast 
is designed specifically to process audio that is going to be encoded. And that's exactly what we've been talking about with, with Marianne for the, the last little while here is coded audio. You know, when we uh, process audio for an FM transmitter, we really know how the FM transmitter is going to treat that audio and, and transmit it. We know the, uh, the mathematical functions that that transmitter is going to do to it in the process of frequency modulation. Same thing for an AM transmitter. We know the parameters uh, of an AM transmission uh, in terms of the bandwidth that that's allowed, in terms of the, uh, the, uh, the modulation and the, the asymmetrical modulation that you're allowed to have with amplitude modulation. Uh, we also know how TV transmitters uh, work and how their audio is modulated and what are the specific characteristics needed for that. But for audio coding, for coded audio, it's becoming so common nowadays. You're listening to it right now, whether you are listening to the audio version of this podcast or watching the video or watching the video played back or live. Anyway, the audio has been coded just as the video has. And there are things that we can do to the audio to make sure that the audio codec has the easiest possible time in coding that audio at, uh, at the highest possible quality. I've mentioned this story before probably, but I'll tell it again. Years ago, when the Internet was new to me, and this must have been in the, uh, oh, golly, this must have been in the mid-'90s, um, maybe before then, I, I, I met up with Frank Foti in, uh, in Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah, it was. It was before 95. Uh, so the early to mid-'90s, I met with Frank Foti, and I said, uh, had lunch with him, and I said, Frank, have you heard this, uh, this Internet audio? He said, yeah, yeah, I've heard it. I said, uh, you've listened to maybe this real audio and, and stuff like that? He said, yeah, yeah. And, of course, we were using dial-up then, so we had dial-up bit rates. I said, sounds pretty crappy, doesn't it? He said, yeah, it really does. It sounds bad. I said, Frank, do you think that there's some way to process the audio that's going to be sent over the Internet and, and maybe even pre-distort it in such a way or shape it in such a way or make it in such a way easier for the codec to, to, uh, to encode this audio. Could we make the codec more efficient by not giving it stuff that's hard to code? And Frank said, oh, I'll think about that. Well, it was uh, probably 10 years, 12 years later that, uh, that, that Frank really put a lot of effort into deciding, into figuring out what was difficult to, to code, what caused an MPEG-2 codec or an MPEG-3 codec uh, or even a Windows Media uh, codec uh, or a real player, a real codec, what caused them trouble and gave them problems in, in encoding audio that actually reduced their efficiency? Figured a lot of those things out. You know, one of them is clipping. Can't do clipping with coded audio. You can do a fair amount of clipping for AM and FM before the human ear starts to object to it. But with coded audio, mm -mm, can't do it. Clipping makes harmonics. And the audio codec is going to try to encode all those harmonics and steal bits away from the audio you really want to hear. And there's other secrets as well. Nah, they're not so secret. There's web. There's some papers on our website, on the OmniAudio.com website, that you can read and check out about uh, what we found out about processing for audio coding. It'll make your stream sound better. Hey, if you want to check out one audio stream that sounds really great, don't do it right now, but do it after the, uh, after the show. Go to Goom, G-O-O-M.com. Goom.com. They use Omni Audio Processing on their streams, and they sound fabulous. And I know that uh, Tom and Chris both use uh, some Omni Audio on some of their streams as, as well. You have a choice. There are certainly other companies that do this as well, but Omni's put a lot of effort into this. And we have uh, choices in terms of software like Omni AXE, we have hardware like this box, the Omnia One Multicast, and then other boxes. Uh, for example, the, uh, the Omnia Six can put out um, a, a audio that's properly processed, uh, not only for your FM transmitter, but for your HD stream as well, or any coded audio stream. Go to the website, omniaaudio.com, and check it out. And thanks very much to Omnia for 
sponsoring this uh, this episode of This Week in Radio Tech. All right, guys, we got about uh, 10 minutes left. Marianne, you still with us? I am. Uh, yes, I was just thinking, remember that the, actually the original Omnia One, we had that meeting in my apartment in Montreal with the entire telehost team and started mapping out the Omnia One. That's right. That's right. We had we probably had what ten or twelve uh, Telosians there uh, talking about what are we going to build, and and the Omnia yeah. One became an obvious choice. And 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 years later, here it is. So wow. Um, uh, so listen, continue to talk a bit about audio codecs. Marianne, you work at Tyline, and I know that that uh, earlier in our interview you mentioned Tyline and POTS codecs. POTS being plain old telephone service. So you hook this box that Tyline makes up to a phone line, you know, a dial tone copper pair phone line, and you dial another box that Tyline makes, and you end up with uh, a very good audio uh, sound across this connection because you're digitizing the audio and you're then you're doing some some coding to it. Tell me a little bit about the um, the algorithms that Tyline has developed, separate from MPEG two and MPEG three, but still based on psychoacoustic coding. Tell me what Tyline has and and how that helps Tyline boxes get their jobs done. We have a, you know we have a staff of it's such a, a quiet company. We have a staff of fifteen engineers and very, very intelligent audio engineers. So we've got two algorithms, the music algorithm and the music plus algorithm, or as I call it, music plus algorithm. Um, both of them are very low delay, high quality, and obviously the music plus is more for music. But the original music algorithm was how Tyline developed a codec for use in the POTS lines. And the nice thing is, number one, it's 15 kilohertz audio quality. And it really, at the time, I, I'll never forget the first time I heard it. I, <laughs> I thought, wow. People kept telling me, that sounds really good. So I went over it. And of course, you know, we're always skeptical. And I thought, it does sound very good. And it has such a low delay. People, you could actually use it. It's nice because it also works with other codecs. So you're not, uh, one of the original issues with, example, ISDN codecs was everyone developed layer two ISDN codecs. But what they didn't realize is the codecs didn't talk to each other because there was no bonding scheme between the two B channels. So it's important, and it, as a result, if you bought brand X, you had to only buy brand X codecs. And that made people mad because they thought, well, wait a minute, we bought this algorithm thinking this was a standard. So with the timeline algorithms, they do talk to other timeline units, but we also talk to other manufacturers out there. And we have sheets that we get people on how you're able to connect, for example, to a Comrex unit. Because that's important. Even though I, if we put a tremendous amount of time and effort into our own codex and our own algorithms, you want to have you know, connectivity. So we really went from our POTS codex and they still get used a tremendous amount. I'm surprised at the number of people who will pick an IP codec and as a backup they'll use POTS. They won't use ISDN. But unfortunately, POTS is starting to go away and it's harder to find POTS lines. But thankfully, it's becoming easier to find 3G connections and yeah. uh, 4G connections. So we're getting there. I'm, you know, I'm excited to see where we'll be in two years. 
we'll turn our attention to IP codecs in just a second, but I, I want to tell you that, uh, Marianne, some years ago, I was talking to Gordon Carter at WFMT in Chicago. And uh, I, I sure hope I've, I've got it right, but I think I do, that he had to uh, engineer a, a symphony broadcast from a hall, and something happened. He, he either knew he couldn't get or somehow couldn't get ISDN, and so all he had available was POTS lines. He ended up uh, trying out um, uh, a, a, some tie line equipment. I'm not sure if it was times two to get stereo or if you had one box that did stereo, but Gordon Carter at WFMT did a symphony remote over POTS lines, and he look, he said it wasn't perfect, but he was flabbergasted at the quality that he got out of it, and it was acceptable enough for for the broadcast. Yeah, and that's, you know, there, there are people out there that literally use POTS codec for STL backups, and it, trying to get ISDN lines is difficult, and getting POTS lines is usually, they're usually established, and it is. It's, it's, it's not perfect. You know, it's a perfect connection because it, it actually stays connected, but it's, it's, it's not like 256 kilobits in layer two over four ISDNB channels, but considering it's over a plain old telephone line, it's, it's brilliant quality. And I, I have to say, at the time when Thailand first developed the POTS codec, I thought, wait a minute. Isn't this going back in time? But it was it was it was an advancement on technology that we all had in every single studio and just weren't utilizing. So here on this show, we do spend a lot of time talking about internet protocol, IP technology, and I know that Tom has used a lot of uh, of IP uh, technology to get to keep get their news programs and talk programs on the air, and so has uh, as Chris Tobin at the CBS stations in, in New York. And sometimes they have a real challenging time. Uh, getting a, getting a, a good wireless connection out, although there's there's uh, 4G technologies that are helping that out right now. Uh, Marianne, tell us a little, little bit about uh, what Tyline is doing with IP uh, connectivity and, and and how that's helping broadcasters. You know, what we've done as a company is we're just obsessed with perfecting things. So actually, no Tyline codec ever leaves until we've tested it out and it stays connected for 30 days. So it, We've done a tremendous amount because this is all we do as a company. So we've done a tremendous amount on that. But we're also always looking to the future. So we have naturally um, 3G and fixed IP. But uh, several months ago, we decided to start looking into 4G and what we can do with that. Um, and we have a very cool solution, which is just a little cradle point router. We took that. Um, and a Verizon stick and made connections from the Super Bowl. And actually, I started out, <laughs> I'm sure you guys can appreciate this, when we wanted to test it, we had to find a city that had 4G. And Indianapolis doesn't, and neither does the city where I live. Mm -hmm. So I had to mm -hmm. go to my mother-in-law's apartment in Boston and take all <laughs> of this technical equipment and set it up <laughs> in her apartment. I'm sure I wasn't really happy about that. <laughs> but it worked. <laughs> we, we've, we've got a we've got a picture up on the screen now of uh, a test setup uh, with the the Cradle Point product, which I use a couple of these myself. They're terrific. Um, I've got oh, a, a, a Cradle Point box that you you can plug almost any USB um, uh, wireless modem into, and it will it they have different models, but uh, one of them that I have will give you a Wi-Fi hotspot 
you know, just like a like a MiFi type product, but it'll also give you a wired connection as well at the same time. And inside the Cradle Point router, you can uh, give packet prioritization to what you want. So you can say that, hey, anything coming in on the wired connection has priority. Send those packets first. And so that can help with the apparent uh, quality of service when you do that kind of packet prioritization. So you can hook up your uh, your tieline uh, codec in the field to, to that kind of box. Um, and not only can you have the tie line talking to the studio, you know, two-way, you know, real-time, low delay, but you could also have a Wi-Fi hotspot at the same time, so you can, on your laptop, you know, get your sports scores or order your halftime pizza or whatever you may need to do. <laughs> yeah, and, that's, and you know what? I mean, there are a couple things to pull Gene out. First, first of all, this, it was so easy to set up. I thought originally, I thought, oh, you know, this is going to take me all day. I'm really going to be a project, and I ended up getting it set up in about a minute. But secondly, because no one's on 4G right now, just inherently it makes it a better connection. Ah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, for cities like New York and Chicago, yeah, 3G is, get, it is getting crowded. There are plenty of other places that it, it, there's plenty of room on it, but at least there's a, um, a path towards 4G connectivity and using devices like that. So, yeah, it's, it's unbelievably easy to use this cradle point. I love it. Marion, we're about out of time. Listen, I, I appreciate you being on the show and, and soldiering through, even without Skype. Also, I want to thank our listeners for soldiering through. Uh, I had Marianne on a, on a video connection earlier today, and, and it worked. But, Marianne, you live just way off in the middle of nowhere, don't you? I, Kirk, I tell you, I live in the National Forest, <laughs> literally. <laughs> I'm like a gnome. On the side of a mountain on the National Forest. Well, I, it's a wonder you can talk to us at all. So, uh, uh, <laughs> hey, next time you're in Boston visiting your mother-in-law, why don't you why don't you give us a call then? We'll do another show. Wicked cool, as they say. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, and and uh, don't don't leave yet. I want to thank my uh, my co-hosts and see if they have any last comments. Chris Tobin, the best dressed engineer in radio from Manhattan. There he is. <laughs> Uh, no, no, the questions have all been answered, both for the uh, IP pots and, uh, and the MPEG. No, it's been great. Actually, it's uh, been educational, and I'm looking forward to the next time we can all get together and talk some more, because I'll definitely have more questions by then. All right. Oh, thanks. Thanks, thanks Chris. It was wonderful talking with you. It's a pleasure. And, and Tom Ray from the Hudson Valley of New York and uh, the WOR Buckley stations. Hey, Tom, thanks for being with us. Hey, anytime, Kirk. And I do have one uh, one final question for Marianne. Uh, if I were a station uh, or an engineer from a station watching the show tonight and were interested in tie-line products, I'm sure you've got a, uh, oh, matter of fact, I know you have a, uh, a, a try-it program. Uh, what's involved with that and how would I contact you to, to get a trial? Oh, it's uh, very easy. And we do uh, trials for a week. No, we don't call you up and interrogate you afterwards. You won't be harassed. All you need to do is just send us an email at sales at tyline.com. Call us at 317-845-8000. Just go to tyline.com and you'll find us and we're happy to, to set that up. That's really the best way to figure out if equipment works for you is trying it out. And we're, that's what we're best at doing. Excellent. And thanks for asking. All right. Hey, thanks very much, uh, uh, Tom and Chris. And uh, Marianne, thank you for again soldiering through a, a cell phone only oh, connection. Thanks. Next time we'll uh, we'll thank get you, you on video much. too, because you know you're you're a pleasure to look at. We want to see you. <laughs> hey, I put a lot of effort just into it tonight, and man, I'm disappointed. But all right. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> and I know you did work on your home studio because you told me you were going to. Got I the, did. Got I the, had everything set up tonight. <laughs> got the lighting all right and all that. Oh, well, maybe next of time. Of course I did. I put perfume hey, on. No, wait a minute. <laughs> thanks again, everyone, for joining us. Thanks to Trim Tonic as for being one of our sponsors on the show and also the folks at Omnia Audio. I appreciate your patronage of those companies and keeping us going here at This Week in Radio Tech. Uh, you can check it out on iTunes. You can subscribe to the show. Uh, if you go to twit.tv slash twirt, it's T-W-I-R-T, you can easily subscribe to the show, either the audio or video, high or low bandwidth, in uh, any of the many different formats and, and transmission methods that you'd like to, or just watch the show from right there. You can like us on Facebook if you search for twirt on Facebook. You'll find us right there. Click the like button and we'll update you on when things change and when we get uh, new episodes posted. And, uh, and of course, our regular, ordinary uh, homepage that uh, we've always had, This Week in RadioTech.com, where we do post uh, links to the audio version of the show there as well. Hey, thanks a lot to Burke back in the studio in Petaluma for switching the show and for getting Marianne on in a pinch when the Skype didn't work. Appreciate that. And uh, we'll see you all next week on This Week in Radio Tech. Bye-bye, everybody.